although I was doing really well externally, I felt like I was carrying the conflict in my day-to-day life in a way that didn't feel like it was actually effective. I felt like I was contributing to the divisiveness in the dialogue on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I felt like I was strengthening one side and reminding people why we think we're right. And what I was really passionate about was bridging the gap and kind of inspiring people to see the other side with more empathy, whether the other side is the Palestinians, whether it's left-wing people, right-wing people, whether it's religious versus non-religious. I always had this passion to help people see past what divides us and bring the humanity into the politics, bring the humanity into the uh, dialogue. So that's how I started listening to my own intuition and I stopped making Israeli advocacy videos. I didn't feel like I was actually contributing to the situation. I felt like I was doing more harm. Welcome to the Two Tall Jews Show, presented by the On This Day in Jewish History Instagram account, and brought to you by Best Shot Productions. We are the Two Tall Jews, and we are ready to go. Welcome to the show. Our show is brought to you, as always, by Best Shot Productions. For all your video marketing needs, go to bestshotproduction.com and get your quote on your next video project today. On today's show, we welcome on Taylor Amrani. Taylor is a mindset coach whose primary goal is to, quote, help you stop wasting your time and energy on things that don't matter and start living the life you deserve, end quote. Taylor shares her insight with the world online on her website, lifebytaylorandrani.com, Instagram by the same handle, at lifebytaylor. She's a writer, a video creator, an incredible positive vibe to have on your social media feed, and we are happy to have her on the Two Tall Jews show. Taylor, welcome. Thank you so much. This is so fun. I'm so excited. Of course, so are we. I mean, we, we normally have on like Jewish educators, Israel advocates, which you have a little bit of, uh, of a history there. We'll get into it. Um, but, you know, we like to change it up a little bit and, and have, uh, you know, different types of personalities on the show. Just a little background for Isaac and, and our listeners. Taylor and I, me, Mayor, met uh, two or three years ago. She was busy creating content for as an Israel ad- activist online. You know, I was a fan. I saw that she was in Miami and uh, we had an opportunity to bring her over to FIU. She spoke to the students at the Hillel uh, as, part of the, as part of the Shalom FIU initiative. And, and then, you know, we, you know, we just continued following each other on social media. But I think that, you know, you and I sort of lost touch. And then I saw that you, you moved away from creating Israel content. And yes. so perhaps you can talk a little bit about what led to you creating Israel content and then what sure. led to you going away from it. Yeah. So thank you for the awesome intro. Honestly, I'm like, wow, (laughs) it's really fun to hear someone introduce you like that. Um, So thank you. And yeah, I obviously, for people who don't know, I was born and raised in LA when I was 18. I made Aliyah to Israel. Um, At first, it wasn't from an ideological standpoint. It was really just looking for my next step in life, really felt at home in Israel, wanted to, you know, learn more about myself, maybe through going to the army and uh, becoming not less of a product of my environment because I grew up in a place where I really didn't feel like I belonged in LA. So I really liked the idea of challenging my identity through going to the army. Um, it, it worked. I went to and drafted into the IDF's infantry unit. I was an infantry instructor for two years. I trained soldiers during Operation uh, Protective Edge. And as soon as I finished school, I went and studied politics at IDC. 
I was super passionate about defending Israel off of the battlefield as much as I was while I was in the army. I wanted to continue that feeling of, you know, defending, defending Israel and the values that Israel represents. So I wanted to gain the knowledge and the understanding of how I could do that as a life and as a career. Uh, I started in 2014, I started studying government and in my third year, I was lucky enough to get into an honors program called the Argo Fellowship Program, where I met Jewish leaders from all around the world, from Ron Lauder to European um, EU politicians. We went to China. We went really to a bunch of places and met so many people. And that was where I kind of grew this passion for understanding the story of the person who eventually became the leader, more than, than the subject itself of Israel. But I really didn't listen to my intuition at the time. I really thought that my, my primary goal was to directly represent Israel as the face of Israeli advocacy. When I finished my degree, I was going to apply to law school. It didn't really go well. And I decided, you know what? I'm very passionate about defending Israel. I'm just going to buy a camera. I'm going to start making videos. I'm going to figure this thing out. Had a friend of mine, Anthony, who I'm very grateful for till today, really helped me. And I started making videos and they did really well. Surprisingly, in like three months, I got like 800,000 views, a million views. Um, the videos really went viral. And although I was doing really well externally, I felt like I was carrying the conflict in my day-to-day -day life in a way that didn't feel like it was actually effective. I felt like I was contributing to the divisiveness um, in the dialogue on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I felt like I was strengthening one side and reminding people why we think we're right. And what I was really passionate about was bridging the gap and kind of inspiring people to see the other side with more empathy, whether the other side is the Palestinians, whether it's left-wing people, right-wing people, whether it's religious versus non-religious. I always had this passion to help people see past what divides us and bring the humanity into the politics, bring the humanity into the uh, dialogue. So that's how I started listening to my own intuition and I stopped making Israeli advocacy videos. I didn't feel like I was actually contributing to the situation. I felt like I was doing more harm. And I followed my intuition into eventually, after a few different paths, I followed my intuition now to actually empower people and help them and that's where I'm at today. And I truly do believe that by being an ambassador of positivity and the values that Israel represents, I'm indirectly representing Israel in the most effective way possible because I will never be ashamed of or hide my Jewish or Israeli identity. So that's, that's where I'm, I'm at at the moment. It yeah. sounds like the process by which you sort of began, so the, the point you began at sort of making uh, making videos, doing your own thing, trying to figure out your life, being uh, an ambassador for Israel in the way you knew how. From there, you sort of had to coach yourself into the position that you're in today, where you're coaching others and helping them find their path uh, of positivity. So how would you, could, could you tell us in what word, in one word, what it means uh, to be a mindset coach? Yeah. In one word, wow. I would say, if it was one word, I would say either attitude or perspective. I think a lot of people, they see life, they don't understand that they have control of the lens that they experience life through and that that lens can be changed and that that lens can be uh, understood better. Like 
we think that how we think and how we see the world is very fixed, but it's really adaptable. And I really like to help people break out of those lenses that cause them a lot of unnecessary suffering and harm and anxiety and a lot of what we see today in people our age who are very controlled by their mind. So the role of Instagram, you know, for us, it changed our lives dramatically, uh, especially once COVID hit. It was right at the like two months in that we started the On This Day in Jewish History account. Um, Isaac and I both have this passion about Jewish history and Jewish education, specifically from an education standpoint, because I think him and I agree that the activism is draining as opposed to when you come from it from an education standpoint. It's less like, hey, listen to me and more like these are the facts. This is what happened on this day, and we're just trying to share that. So offense we, versus defense. I'm all right. about it. <laughs> so we definitely resonate with that aspect. Uh, we don't consider ourselves Jewish activists. We consider ourselves Jewish educators. Um, so during this specific time, we started the blog that then led to this podcast uh, where we can go deeper into things that don't fit into a caption. At the same time, a lot of people's content either became political because of everything that was going on or like, hey, look at what I'm doing during quarantine. And then when I would see your account it was more like this is what you can do to make working better or like this is like it was just like a positive outlook in the world of negativity that it felt like especially like july august it, in a way did the pandemic kind of come at the at the perfect moment for you uh you would say and like not obviously you know with respect to everybody that was sick and, and lost their lives best pandemic ever <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh lucky me yeah um no i think that the pandemic didn't come as a convenience. I think I chose to see it that way. I chose to make the most out of it. Like I said, it's really a choice how you experience things, how you respond to them. I was working on a Netflix production with uh, Leo Raz from Fauda. I was his personal assistant. I was loving it. I was doing a good job. And I, on a random Tuesday, got fired because of COVID. Had no idea what I was going to do next. Really had to face this unknown and I wasn't fully employed. I was, I was a contractor, so I really had no idea where my source of income was going to come. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had no plan because I knew that I was working there for a few more months or at least a few more weeks. And I just chose to get myself into the right mindset. And I'm someone who really sees my experience as an open book. I really like to experience things and share with others how I help myself. I, I feel like it's one of the ways I live my life is just like living my life wide open. You know, really, if I see something that helps me, I'm, it's, I'm the first thing I do is spread it as far and wide as I can. And I saw that I was able to get myself from a place of extreme anxiety and extreme stress to appreciating the situation and making the most out of the situation. And I really just wanted to use Instagram to share that message with as many people as possible. And that inspired me to create my blog and dig deeper so I could have a more of an outlet to, uh, write more and go into detail. So that's where it all started, really. I just, from my own experience, coached myself through the experience and decided, okay, now I have a lot of value to offer others because they could probably relate, so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've come to understand that figures such as Kobe Bryant, rest in peace, and Golda Meir are, are big inspirations to you. People like them are easy to look up to and use as inspiration. But in this, but at the same time, these sort of larger-than-life figures can be at times just that, larger-than-life. Yeah. And in the process of looking up to them, we compare ourselves and begin to see everything that we're not. Oh, I'm so happy you asked me this question. How can, yeah, how can we effectively <laughs> use inspiration from people like Kobe in a practical and positive way? 
I swear you read my mind. I literally wrote a note two days ago saying I have to make a video about having a healthier relationship with your role models and how having a role model can be a blessing and it can also be a curse. I look up to people for different reasons and they're usually very extreme figures from Kanye West to Kobe Bryant to Golda Meir to uh, Menachem Begin and people, you know, can use their role models in a way to really torture themselves. Like yeah. if you look at Kobe Bryant and compare your work ethic to Kobe Bryant's work ethic, you will always feel like a failure. Like there, unless, unless you're a freak of nature and you succeed in some way to work that hard, it's possible. It's not, it's not so likely. So I see it as a spectrum and I tell myself if I want this side of the spectrum and Kobe Bryant is at the end of the spectrum, my job is to bring myself closer to Kobe Bryant. It's not to be Kobe Bryant. It's not to reach his level. It's using him as an example on the days I need to motivate myself and say, Taylor, you know what you're capable of. Like a relationship with yourself, a healthy relationship with yourself based on your own expectations for yourself. Obviously, you have to manage those expectations and tell yourself, how can I channel my inner Kobe today to go for my hour walk when I really don't feel like it? Like Kobe Bryant would tell you to just go for the walk. So it's about having that healthy dialogue with yourself and using them as, you know, they're the extreme of the extreme. They've proven that this is possible on the highest level. So that means I can for sure do a little bit more. And that means I can take a little bit more of a step towards their side of the spectrum, but it's never to actually be them or to get to that level because that is, that is where you can use personal development and all these motivational quotes and these people as a way to really harm your expectations from yourself and, and really set yourself up for a lot of failure and disappointment. Yeah. And I a hundred percent. And then there's, I mean, I've personally, I felt that too, like not Kobe, but, you know, yeah. figures like Dwayne Wade in Miami, you know, he's yeah. definitely a larger than life figure in a similar level. <laughs> um, and then something that's helped me is like doing the if and exercise so that if, you know, you, you say to yourself, okay, I want to start getting up at five in the morning or four in the morning or whatever. And if you don't get up in the morning, then like, then if, so then if that happens, I'm going to try to do it maybe instead of four days a week, I'll try to do it three days a week. So then like, you give yourself sort of like that room, that room for error so that, you know, you remind yourself like it's, it's okay if you didn't do it. Sure. Right? Yeah. I think a lot of the times people don't realize that personal development, it's, I was saying this today to a client, it's not about reaching all these things at the highest level. It's accepting that you will always be aspiring to reach them to the highest level and having enough compassion for yourself when you don't do it mm -hmm. and keep going. It's not about doing everything the best you can all the time because that's not realistic. It's about saying, I know what I would ideally like to do. I'm going to do the best I can every single day to get there. It's not about doing it all. Like I, there are days where I don't wake up at five. There are days where I do. There are days, you know, but it's about showing up and just keeping the momentum going. Even if you stop for a week, even if you stop for a month, it's not letting that um, talk you out of, trying again right. or continuing i yeah i just want to add one more thing well actually about kobe specifically not ever being a fan but having the utmost respect for him is that one of the things that kobe never cared about was what people said about him or the noise going on surrounding him like especially when commentators on espn or uh hbo wherever they would talk about who's the greatest of their era kobe legitimately didn't care about any of that 
it was all about him being better. And so like from a development standpoint or like a personal development standpoint, I think that's really interesting because the standards that people use Kobe to apply to their own life is not even something he would agree with. Right. So it's almost viewing his philosophy in a backwards mindset. Right. I, um, again, another thing I spoke about with a client today is defining your own defining what success means to you and judging yourself based on your own definition, because if you adopt other people's definitions of success or of value or of happiness, then there's no end to that. You will, even if you are fully satisfied with what, what success means to you, the second you leave room to adopt other people's versions of success, then you will always feel like you are not succeeding. And that's why it's so important to have that definition for yourself. Like I tell myself, it's important for me to make a post on Instagram every single day to do my best to bring value. And if I start to measure my success based on the number of followers I have, because that's what other people decided is success, then I will never feel like I'm successful. It will feel very, very, very tiring. I will eventually stop putting in the work because it, it'll feel like I'm not in control of my own success. And that's why it's important to define your own success and stick to that. And the things that really matter to you, you know what they are. And when other people try to project their versions of what success means to you on, onto you, then that's your insecurity that's, um, that's actually adopting that in that moment. But it's never, it's never the way to go. You're never going to feel satisfied. You're always going to feel like you're not enough if you make room for other people to define your worth. Right. Um, so you've written some great blogs this year, you know, ranging from my first anxiety attack and it sucked. The only thing we have is now and a personal favorite because it happened to me over the summer. I got rejected from my dream job and I'm happy about it. Um, which do you feel has been the most rewarding on a personal level, like through the process of writing it and which has been on an external level with the process of people saying, Oh my God, I loved it. Um, and then is it the same one maybe? I honestly think every time I'm able to share something with full vulnerability and I think a lot of people mistake, you know, attention seeking through sympathy and vulnerability. A lot of times, a lot of people are like, I'm going to overshare about very horrific things that happened to me and hope that people pity me and have sympathy for me and follow me now. And there's a classy way to be vulnerable and tell people, Hey, look, I've gone through something that really sucks. This is how I got myself through it, or this is what I'm telling myself, and hopefully this helps you. And I've noticed that most of my success, my external success, is when I am able to do that. And the thing is, is I can't really make up hard times. Like it's either I did have an anxiety attack or I didn't, or I, I had a panic attack or I didn't. I'm not going to like start digging for these experiences to start. And, gain followers or gain a new audience. But I think for me, they're, it's, they're very aligned because my intentions are so pure when I put stuff out, I just want to make people feel better. And when I feel like I did that on the highest level, that's when I feel successful. So it really is aligned. Um, that's personal success to me. For me, it's how did I use my own problems and make, give them meaning. And for me, giving them meaning means helping other people. So I think that when you tell me like, oh, this person, this happened to me and it helped me, that's success for me. And I don't really look at the numbers, so it's hard for me to measure which one is more or less, but even if it's one person, it feels amazing to yeah. me, so. Well, yeah, no, I think the question was more about like, you know, if, if there was a certain one that you had a, a lot of people sending you messages like, oh my God, oh, I really yeah. love this. 
Yeah, yeah. The one that got the most messages actually was, I think, I don't know if I made it also a blog post. It was the one where I talked about, I showed a picture of me crying in the apartment <laughs> that I moved into after my last breakup and moving out of that apartment into a new apartment with my new significant other. And I talked about keeping your heart open, you know, not letting your heart close after heartbreak and not bringing in the past into the present or the future and really surrendering to the unknown, even though you were hurt in the past. Mm. I, well, I went to like a restaurant in Tel Aviv and the waitress was like, I saw this post and it was you and now mm. she gave me free food. And like, it was, it was, I really felt like that post had a huge impact on a lot of people and reminded them to keep their heart open even if they got heartbroken and to see the end of the tunnel because a lot of people when they're in breakups that's when they really see a lot of darkness and um i felt like that was a post that did really 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 well in that sense yeah. so you, you speak a lot about relationships uh with the self partners parents strangers etc if you had to pick one of these to specialize in and exclusively talk about which would it be and why I said this, so it's um, your relationship with yourself. I think the way you treat yourself is the way you navigate through life, the way you treat other people. I think when we talk about being honest with your partner, being honest with your parents, it's, it starts with knowing what that means when you're talking to yourself. Like, what do you truly want in life? What makes you truly happy? What is unacceptable for you? Like, it all starts with how you, your inner dialogue and the stronger and the healthier the relationship is with yourself, the more you are able to project that onto others. I think it goes with, in a relationship and with parents, like what the problems come from issues that we have within ourselves or else they wouldn't bother us. Like the things that bother me and my partner most are usually things that I'm feeling a lack of within myself. I'm like, oh, he doesn't know what he's going to do in life. Like it's in moments where I feel like I'm slacking on my content and I'm like, oh mm. shit, like that's because I don't feel like I have that right now. When it's with my parents, it's like, mm, I wish that they would just be like this. And it's like, <laughs> no, no, that's something that I have a tendency to be like that I'm working on being better in and they're getting away with being that way. Like, oh, it irks me. But it's all about accepting yourself and finding peace with yourself and Seeing yourself as a human being allows you to see other people as human beings. Like when you have more compassion with yourself, you're able to have compassion for others on a much higher level. And it brings a lot more stability in life. You're not thrown around by all of these external relationships. Right. So I think that's the, the most important relationship that you have is the one with the person you're going to be with forever, which mm. is the guy or girl up in here. <laughs> and do you think that's related to one's relationship to their own identity? This idea, for sure. For you know, sure. Yeah. yeah. The idea that what? Continue. No, the idea. Well, you mentioned the self, so I guess there's a way of, you know, obvious. So, do you view what, like, I guess speaking for yourself, the idea of developing your own identity and how you project your identity onto others, whether it be with your relationships with others or your coaching and your professional life. Do you think that's very much intertwined with? Uh, better, bettering yourself as an individual? The identity is a really dangerous thing because there's nothing that we defend more than our identity. And when you decide, I'm someone who is like this, then you will defend that part of your identity to the death. If you decide, I'm a Republican, or I am a liberal, or I am bad at memorizing things, like you have adopted an identity that you will defend even when you are proven wrong by who you really are or your behavior. You will defend the identity. And I think knowing that you can 
then create an identity that works in your favor. I am someone who doesn't judge people. I am someone who gives people a fair chance. I think crafting an identity is important, but it's about keeping it as labelless and formless as possible, really taking out the labels and the forms and the judgment and kind of creating this identity that's pure, that's flexible, that doesn't, you know, constrain you from being your best self. Because a lot of times we are defending our, ident our identity over what's best for us. And we see that a lot in politics. We see that a lot in relationships. We see that a lot in building habits. You've decided I'm a bad runner. So even if you are capable of dancing for three hours at a wedding and you're physically capable of running, you will not enjoy or at least put in the effort to try to run because you have decided that that is part of your identity. And that is a huge part of changing your life is letting go of the identity and letting your identity be very flexible and open and not restrictive. Interesting. Um, I'm trying to connect it to our next question because it's, it's connected to people that are openly identifying as Jewish online and, mm -hmm. and that, and some, so they try to, obviously it's, it's become like a human rights thing for some people. And it's become for some people like, Hey, like I'm just sharing like who I am. This isn't a political thing. So, and then at the same, so then they receive a lot of hate if they become very big, as I'm sure you, you've known with your previous account you would start to receive a lot of hate directed at Jews and Zionists and both. Mm -hmm. So um, how can somebody still maintain that proud identity and at the same time use these sorts of strategies to combat this sort of hate online? Yeah. I personally find it most effective when people, great example, there's a um, famous, yeah, she's pretty famous yoga instructor, Talia Sutra on Instagram, who is, an ambassador for Aloe Yoga. She is huge internationally. She's also, I would say, semi-religious spiritual in her Jewish identity. She doesn't write proud Jew in her bio, but that is her way of reaching a wide audience who has already put their guard down and has accepted her as a human being. Because before you are Jewish, you are human. And putting that, that guard down and letting people kind of welcoming them into the sphere of where they don't need to defend themselves against you, they can listen. That's where they're listening. That's when they are most, it's most effective to influence their way of seeing the world and the way they see Jewish people and the way they have a relationship to Judaism. It's like, wow, this woman empowers me. She makes my life amazing. She's my yoga guru. She is a beautiful human being. She means well, she's awesome. And she's Jewish and these values mean something to her. And this is part of who she is. Wow, that's interesting. And the next time they think of a Jew, they're not just thinking of the things that they have already decided based on whatever it is. They also see her in the picture. And in my opinion, that is the most effective way to carry your Jewish identity. It doesn't have to be as aggressive as people think it needs to be. It can be very subtle. It can be indirect. I think each person has their own relationship with their Jewish identity. For me, it's not so important to say I'm Jewish, but when people ask me Q&A, hey, where are you from? What are you from? That's the first thing I say. My mom converted. My dad's Jewish. He's Israeli. Like, I'm not hiding it. It's important, but that's not what makes me who I am. I am many things before I'm Jewish, and so are all of the people who are defending their Jewish identity. I think it's about re representing Jewish values, um, and I think it's being the light 
and carrying the light that Judaism speaks of and represents. And leaving the labels out of it sometimes can be more effective, in my opinion. So, but I obviously don't judge people who feel the need to put it out there. I don't mm-hmm. think that that's necessarily harmful, but that's just my, my way of going about it. We're sitting with Taylor Amrani. You can find her on Instagram at LifeByTaylor and on her site at LifeByTaylor.com. Isaac, do you want to go for the next one? Absolutely. So if you had a gigantic billboard, it's a hypothetical, if you had a, a big billboard that you, could, that you would, could put anywhere where millions or billions, the whole world could see and have access to it, what, yeah. would, what would it say and why? What would the message be? Whew. Wow. This is a question. Okay. What would it say and why? Wow. Hmm. Okay. 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 I got to think about this one guys. One second. Say, I think it would be something along the lines of, I don't know what it would say. I don't know what the words would say, but I know the message would be to question the way you see the world and to accept that there are other perspectives that you, that you do not have that other people have around you. Like, <clears throat> I think there's a lot of hate going around for people that just have a different human experience and see things through a different perspective. And if I had a billboard, I would think really long and hard on how I can get people to have that aha moment where they're like, oh shit, like maybe I see things differently than other people that I hate so much. And they see things through their lens the exact same way I feel this way, they feel the exact opposite. Like I posted um, a post on Instagram about a Trump supporter and a Biden supporter. I saw that. We're friends and decided to be peaceful and people were ripping me to pieces. And it just blew my mind that they wouldn't even accept that there are good people who support Trump or good people who vote for Trump. Like that, in my opinion, is tragedy. And they see, I was trying to explain to people that Trump supporters see Biden supporters the same way Biden supporters see Trump supporters, but they have no way of accepting that. So I think that's what we need most is empathy, um, is to see the other and see ourselves in the other and to have compassion for each other. And if I could have a billboard that billions of people would see, I would think of a really, really, really clever way to get people to understand the importance of having empathy for the people that they disagree with. And to somehow bridge the gaps that they are creating and that are so big because we're more the same than we are different and people are losing sight of that. 100%. Yeah, we got that question from Tim Ferriss. I don't know if you know That's him. a good question. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> now I'm gonna be thinking about that question. We're wrapping up here. These are what we call rapid fire. So Woo! first thing that comes to mind and they're gonna be focused on Tel Aviv because I, you call Tel Aviv home. Home forever. Home forever. Um, so best coffee in Tel Aviv. Best coffee in Tel Aviv. House of Coffee. Where is the that? Best. Where is it? It's like on the border of Nevet Sedek. It's a new coffee shop. They invested so much money in it. It's like the, the nicest coffee shop I've ever seen in Israel. And it's not even about that. It's the energy of the people, the owner, the, the workers. They're just mm-hmm. phenomenal. The best mm-hmm. ever. Like you just go there and you feel like you are treated... Like you are a VIP no matter who you are. Awesome. Best place and to do you. Yoga. Oh, okay. What was that? <laughs> and, and I said the coffee's also delicious. Oh, okay. <laughs> Best place to do yoga in Tel Aviv. Best place to do yoga in Tel Aviv. I would say my friend Michaela's roof. Um, she does rooftop yoga. <laughs> Is that what yoga. it's called? My friend <laughs> yeah. Michaela's roof. <laughs> no, Michaela is yoga with Nick. 
<laughs> he does uh, pop-up yoga. Oh, yes, Earth, I've I seen you share. Yeah, that very looks amazing. Special. It's very special because you meet people who you did not know and you have a really nice experience, get to know some nice people and uh, connect to yoga in a very, like, chill, not, like, mainstream way. So I like yes. it. Yes. So I don't know if this next one applies to you. Are you a vegetarian? Um, I don't know why I'm assuming. You am are. I? <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's complicated. <laughs> okay, so I'm sure at one point you weren't. Best shawarma okay. in Tel Aviv. Best shawarma in Tel Aviv, I would say, is... Aquasim is my favorite shawarma in Tel Aviv. Yes. Uh, best outdoor relaxation spot in Tel Aviv? Anywhere on the beach and <laughs> during sunset time. At the, at the Hilton Hill. Wherever it is on the beach during mm-hmm. sunset, that is the best energy. Best bar? Best bar. I don't drink and I don't go out, so <laughs> I don't have a preference. But I would say like bar restaurants. I, I like a Blaxas. It's like a bar restaurant. That's, that's a vibe. So last two, favorite destination in Israel? Wow, favorite destination in Israel? I would say, honestly, I think Tel Aviv is the best place in Israel because I think every corner of Tel Aviv is like an entirely different country, a different city. It's like a different vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Kikar Dizengo. It really puts me in a good mood sitting there. And mm. that's, that's my spot. That's my spot. And now the least favorite destination. Least in favorite part of Israel? God forbid. Like, <laughs> not traditionally, like what? <laughs> no, my something. least favorite spot in Israel, I would say, is probably anywhere that has to do with anything you have to get done with the government. <laughs> <laughs> All the bureaucratic offices. <laughs> um, every anytime you have to deal with bureaucracy in Israel, it's just not mm-hmm. not a bad, Awesome. So for people that complain about the DMV in the U.S., you have nothing to complain about. Yeah. No. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Thank you, Taylor, for coming on our show. We really enjoyed the chat and look forward to having you back home. Thanks. And thanks for mentioning.